Uh, today's program, Workplace Wellbeing, the Humana Strategy, and I just wanted to thank our uh, guests here today, speakers uh, and panelists for coming out all across the country to join us to show the perspective on what happens outside of Chicago. So we have uh, George Baum came in from Green Bay, uh, Greg Schaefer from Louisville, and uh, David Cottle from San Diego. I'm going to turn it over to, uh, to George now to, uh, to introduce everybody uh, on the panelists. Thank you. A, a round of applause. Thanks, Dan, for the introduction. Um, I am here with, uh, as Dan was saying, with uh, Greg Schaefer and Dave Cottle. Uh, they are part of our Workplace Solutions Group. In Workplace Solutions for Humana, we handle corporate real estate. Uh, we have on-site fitness centers, food service, uh, build-out, uh, managed real estate, leases, uh, all the budgets. Uh, uh, you, get, you get the idea. Uh, also with us today is uh, Kevin Dooley. Kevin is uh, from Cincinnati. Kevin handles, uh, he's our associate experience leader, handling much of the Midwest and, and the East Coast. Uh, so he is with us today as well. Uh, also with us is uh, Lindsay Manella. Lindsay is here in Chicago at, uh, in our uh, office on uh, um, Adams Street. Uh, Lindsay is our regional uh, um, relations media relations manager. Uh, handling uh, uh, multiple multiple states, and I think she really wanted to come to find out what we do as well. She always hears about this. Uh, a little bit about Humana: uh, we have uh, um, we have evolved from the start out in the nursing home business, went into the hospital business, then into insurance. And with all the healthcare reform, we are now going into, we are evolving even further into a, a lifelong well-being and health solutions, which includes insurance. Uh, Humana has a footprint in, in the U.S. of about uh, 450 locations. We have some international locations as well. We've got about 7 million square feet uh, uh, that we manage. Uh, we've got in excess of 25,000 employees. Um, so that gives you a little bit of perspective on the, on the footprint for Humana. Uh, I am now going to turn the program over to, uh, to Greg and, and Dave. Have to know how to push the button. How's that? I'm going to jump up here so I can control the presentation a little bit more. And uh, I have a few notes, and I'll try to not be reading too much here. But um, it is exciting to come to Chicago and to talk to uh, you folks about our company and uh, a journey that we've been on. Um, thank you, Dan, for having us. And I was just saying I'm meeting a lot of nice people here in the room today uh, with Cornette. And, um, are thinking about this presentation, what we're going to talk about today. You know, if you think about coming to Chicago, the, uh, the cradle of modern architecture, and you're coming to talk about design, um, it kind of makes you feel like you need to raise the bar a little bit. Um, if you look at the uh, level of professionalism and expertise that's in the room, so our sincere hope is that you'll find some things of value here. And, it's really a story about a company that's gone through a, a meteoric growth spurt in the last few years, um, having grown, as, as George said, we've uh, expanded our footprint to uh, 
Four years ago, we had 250 properties. Today, we have 450 properties. Um, and it's been um, our task as the uh, design team for Humana has been to keep up with all that growth and to provide a great experience for, um, for our associates. <coughs> uh, so just to give you an idea of what we're going to work through today, and uh, we'll have to move very briskly here. We have a hard stop in about 50 minutes, and we want to save some time for Q&A at the end. But uh, I would like to uh, continue what George was talking about in terms of who we are and give you a little snapshot of the, what the workplace looks like at Humana and what our workplace solutions uh, philosophy uh, is and uh, look at some different patterns. And then really um, what this presentation began as when we went to uh, IFMA World Workplace about a year and a half ago and have gone to several other Cornette groups is it's a case study about a project that we did in Cincinnati, Ohio um, that was a very unique opportunity for us to design a building, basically a hole in the ground around all of our core principles. And then another thing that, was, uh, that we took the time to do, contrary to many of the other projects, was to do measurement at the end, uh, pre and post measurement, to get the reaction of the associates uh, and the leadership that moved into this new facility uh, called Humana Center Cincinnati. And um, we thought that might be of interest. So uh, again, George touched on who we are. We're a Fortune 73 company and uh, currently about $31 billion in revenues, founded in 1961. And uh, he also touched on our evolution from nursing homes to hospitals to, to health benefits to consumer-focused health solutions. And uh, that's where we are uh, today. And the uh, company's been very good over the years at reinventing itself numerous times, as you can see here, and uh, we're poised to the degree that we need to do that uh, in the future, working on a lot of exciting new initiatives right now as far as uh, space design projects are concerned to help Humana get ready for um, what the future looks like. Um, in terms of what we do, he, he also uh, touched on, uh, we basically, from the time you come in your car in the parking lot to you know the HVAC units on the roof, we're responsible for uh, all of the daily experiences and uh, the real estate, design and construction, et cetera. Um, many of you may know us um, just as a place to drive through on your way to Florida um, from Chicago. But um, we are also, uh, you might know that we make baseball bats also, including the world's largest baseball bat. It's taller than a six-story building down on Main Street. Uh, but we're much more than that. I'm, I'm proud to, to live in the community and uh, have for quite a few years. Um, I was originally raised up in the Northeast, but relocated in Louisville about 20 years ago. And um, of course, you know about Colonel Sanders and the Kentucky Derby. I was talking to Renee from HOK, who actually came to the Derby and loved it. And, and um, Muhammad Ali was born there. And uh, what I'm most proud of is the fact that we have hosted several major PGA events, and uh, including the 2008 Ryder Cup. And I heard we got another PGA coming um, in the next couple of years. Um, so we're excited about that. But uh, a lot of other wonderful things about the community that we live in. But the point is, when we get up here and do this, a lot of times people don't know the heck Humana is or where it's located. So wanted you to have that little context. Uh, if you uh, will bear with me a minute, I wanted to relay a brief uh, story to you. And um, talk about who this man is. Does anyone recognize this person? If, uh, if you do, don't, don't tell anybody because it'll spoil the story. But uh, 
this individual is, and I'm going to read a resume here to you, so bear with me, a dual nationality Canadian and Italian. His undergraduate studies were completed at the University of Toronto. He went on to earn his MBA from the University of Windsor in 1980 and his Bachelor of Law from Osgoode Hall and Law School of York University in 1983. He began his professional career in Canada, and from 83 to 85, he worked as a chartered accountant and tax specialist for Deloitte. From 85 to 88, he was a group controller and then director of corporate development at the Lawson Marden Group in Toronto. From 1990 to 92, he was a vice president of finance for Acklands Limited, and by 97, he was the CEO of Al Group in Zurich. In 2002, he was named CEO of SGS in Geneva, and in 2006, he was elected as chairman of the European Automobile Manufacturers Association, and as the CEO of Fiat, he returned their automobile division to profitability. He serves as a non-executive vice chairman on the board for UBS, and in June of 2009, Sergio Marchione was named CEO of Chrysler in a much publicized bailout and rescue plan of the storied American automobile manufacturer. Now, I would imagine that the resume we just read was in the hands of a multitude of Chrysler employees when he announced that he was headed to Detroit to take place at the uh, head of the enterprise that he was going to be turning around. Who was he? What had he done? What can we learn? What did he do at Fiat? And what was his MO? You can just imagine the questions that were flying in the Google hits that were probably uh, going on just prior to his arrival. And we can all relate. We've all had a new boss and been with a company that's had a new division lead, new company with a CEO, and we know the questions that were running through the employees' heads at Chrysler as they awaited his arrival. But how would he make his mark? Would he come in and hold a group meeting? Would he come in and fire people on the spot? Would he come in and observe quietly for a while? How will he choose to impact his initial days on arrival? Well, I certainly don't know his approach or leader of a company like Chrysler, but I do know this. This is a Wall Street Journal that revealed to us in his first hours the job in Detroit with a front page story. And um, you can read it there, but just after taking job as CEO of Chrysler, he settled into a new office at the company's Auburn Hills location and uh, signals that he's setting a different tone at the struggling car maker. Rather than take the top floor suite that his predecessors had occupied in the company's first floor executive tower, or excuse me, 15th floor executive tower, he opted for a fourth floor office in the adjoining technical tower, people familiar with the matter said. So of all the ways that he could set a new tone, he chose to do it with a physical environment decision. Why? Was a better view on the fourth floor? Was the food better in the technical tower? Was it a safer building? Shorter elevator ride? Nope, he signaled he was going to behave differently than his predecessors by choosing his location. What messages did he send about decision-making, transparency, and opinions? What do you think the difference in experience for the technical team was the day after he arrived? So what we're advocating today is a key theme that we'll highlight, and that is that space definitely matters. Our point is that space matters, experience matters, behaviors matter, people in place is a powerful combination, and the workplace can enable a cultural transformation and employment brand evolution and influence business outcomes. At Workplace Solutions, 
we believe that space can be a powerful lever on behaviors, transforming culture, affecting the employment brand, and influencing productivity. In 2003, when we formed our group, the elements of productivity, brand, culture, and behaviors were elements that we targeted and tried to add value to. And we didn't know immediately how we would do that, and uh, we realized that um, we could not directly impact culture, but we knew that employment brand was complex with many factors. But we looked at this for many months and spent time researching, and we concluded that we could influence these factors in a linear fashion. We believe that we can influence behaviors, which can impact culture, reinforce employment brand, and improve productivity. When we think about space and design, there's one of two paths. You can build space around the power model, um, still a common practice for many companies today, and um, the model is one built around governance and hierarchy. And, um, likely designed on the 15th floor of the, the Chrysler executive floor in Auburn Hills, Michigan. But sound research leads us to find the experiences and employment brand from a predominance power model is that a bureaucracy information is hoarded in power plays and decision making is secretive and behind closed doors many times. And this is still very prevalent today as I travel around and talk to folks and uh, it's by no means gone away at Humana either. Um, it's a long journey. But we believe there's a network approach, and the design that's predicated on information being strategic and abundant is everywhere and at all levels. Um, Mr. Mercioni believed that information to be abundant and strategic on the fourth floor of the technical tower. And sound research in this model finds that proximity to network and information is what really matters and not power structures. And you're likely familiar with Drucker's notes, a network design is a design that signals trust. The, uh, this is what design used to look like at Humana, and as I said, still does on many floors. We have a long journey ahead of us, but most people can relate to uh, this 1985 power model design. And we're, uh, we're evolving away from that. Uh, I think for a company our size, we're somewhat unique in that we take a very non-prescriptive approach to our projects and, and view every project as, uh, as a custom design uh, based on uh, some boundaries or guidelines that we have. But we offer lots of choices to our clients uh, to try to solve their business needs and we believe the result is, is better outcomes uh, for our, uh, our customer groups. <clears throat> we do um, a lot of uh, sustainable uh, projects. We don't go for total lead on every single project, although we were successful here in Chicago on the 550 uh, West Adams Street project that we did, um, can't believe it's been four years ago now, but we were talking earlier. Uh, it is a LEED, uh, Commercial Interiors, LEED certified project uh, that we did uh, in a brand new building that we're very proud of. And that particular scenario worked out uh, that we were able to get LEED. Uh, it was a LEED building. But we do try to do the right thing, and to the degree that we can, um, do some of these uh, types of uh, inside-out planning methodologies and uh, touchless fixtures and motion sensors and recycled materials and things of that nature uh, on every project. Uh, we also believe in the power of environmental branding. We did not used to do this very frequently at Humana. And uh, it's been proven that um, this can create uh, better connections for the associates to the company and better customer connections. So it's a foundation of every project. 
And recently, we really put um, a big emphasis on wellness. As George mentioned, our, we have a corporate dream, and that is to uh, help our clients achieve lifelong health and well-being. And for us, as designers and architects of space, we try to think about ways that we could do that within the, the actual workplace for our associates. And uh, these are some examples of world-class food service and uh, the project that we're going to look at today. Uh, here had an actual uh, walking track around the outside of it, um, which is not something we always have the luxury to do on every project, but in this case we did. Uh, this is a steel case walk station here that we're doing now as a, as a standard and uh, in the work environment. And, um, you know, certain facilities will warrant full exercise facilities and um, et cetera. So those are some of our uh, core principles. And uh, next I'm just going to touch briefly on some patterns that we've um, come up on uh, here over the last few years. These are six classifications of space that the majority of our projects fall under, and each is unique in their own right and can be customized to the degree needed to. Um, but we really have um, some different looks and feels of space. Um, there, most of them are branded together by some commonality, but we do believe that uh, corporate space, which you're seeing examples of here, uh, have a little bit of a different look and feel uh, at the flagship location in Louisville where we have over 10,000 employees. Uh, this is what uh, many of the workspaces look like uh, in Louisville. And uh, recently we met with our sales uh, team, and this goes back four years ago now to the Chicago market office uh, that looks very similar to this. Uh, but we met and did a visioning session uh, with a group of uh, commercial market office business leaders on what does a new major uh, anchor office in a large city look like for commercial business. Uh, or commercial and Medicare business. And um, we arrived at this new model uh, for a commercial Humana market office. <clears throat> this is our DC facility. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm battling a little throat cold here today. Um, but Washington was uh, really a unique opportunity for us to better align space with the needs of the business. And our previous offices weren't very convenient to Capitol Hill. And um, they needed to be moved, and while location was a major factor, we took it as an opportunity to reach out to key new audiences and, and uh, politicians in new ways. And the space is rather small, uh, only seats about six FTEs, but we used branding and uh, put in new gaming rooms to show a lot of the innovation um, that's coming out of the company right now as a new way to uh, show uh, what we're doing to key audiences. So that's uh, some examples of commercial market offices. This is something called a guidance center, and guidance centers were a new value proposition to Humana about a year ago. We were approached by our senior products group in late 2008 and uh, asked to uh, help design a new kind of customer experience. And the standard customer model for healthcare, as most of you know, is mostly phone or web-based, and it gives really little opportunity for human interaction. And this concept was really to create a, a neighborhood Humana store uh, it was completely accessible to our senior customer segment wanting to get out and do something with their day. And their facilities, uh, these facilities have begun to transform conventional healthcare service models uh, and feature everything from exercise classes to uh, Wii bowling tournaments and um, lots of other activity going on in there in addition to social functions. And uh, people can actually go there and talk to a live body and get answers to their questions 
about health benefits. And uh, we also provided some hoteling seats for salespeople in there. We did one in Chicago. It's out near Midway Airport. It's an experiment. There's about 18 of these now open across the United States. And we think there's probably going to be a lot more of these in our future. So it doesn't get much better than that in terms of aligning what we do with uh, critical business issues. Uh, this is a new virtual sales office for us. I think for a company our size, uh, maybe we've lagged a little bit behind. Our approach has been a desk for every person for 30,000 associates. And uh, with the exception of about 3,000 work-at-home people, we've been providing seats for everybody, which doesn't make any sense when you look at you know, all the statistics that at any one time, 60% of the seats are going to be empty. So we finally um, are looking at, in our sales offices first and uh, soon corporate offices, um, more virtual, flexible work environments um, with limited seats, uh, dedicated seats in them that become more um, flexible for customer presentations and things like that. So that's our new sales office pilot. And then the last um, couple here are we're in the medical business also. We have something like 75 properties in South Florida. We acquired a company called CAC, uh, which means uh, Cubit American Centers in the greater Miami area. And we have expansion and remodeling plans underway for many of these uh, going on. And then this one, uh, kind of in that healthcare category, is our new Center for Health and Well-Being on Main Street in Louisville. And this is a pilot project um, called the Center for Health and Well-Being. And it's a joint venture with CVS Minute Clinic, if you're familiar with that. Uh, LifeSync on-site medical services, LifeSync being a division of Humana that does um, behavioral uh, employee assistance programs, I should say. And uh, we're looking at more opportunities for this inside and outside of Humana. And then the last one here is what we're really here to talk about today. This is a, uh, a large field anchor space that uh, we did in Cincinnati. And subsequently, we've added two more uh, facilities, one in Irving, Texas, and another one in Phoenix that all have over 700 associates in them. And uh, we patterned those. Um, after the property uh, that we're here to highlight today. And um, those are not so much strategically um, created, but that's where we've arrived in our evolution here um, in a very fast track um, design and build mode uh, over the last several years. But again, Cincinnati was a great opportunity for us to uh, take a step back, uh, think a little bit differently um, about how we can really design a new building uh, from a hole in the ground in Cincinnati around uh, many of our core principles. And um, these, uh, as I said earlier, facility this, I think I said earlier, a facility this size would usually warrant a full service uh, food and uh, fitness center also. So the project itself, just to give a little setup for Dave here. This is uh, Humana Center Cincinnati, and it was a real thrill for us to, to really get to design a building from a hole in the ground. And uh, it became the embodiment of a lot of our core principles and a lot of these things that we're showing you today. So with time on our side for a change, it gave us the opportunity to fully utilize what we call a strategic toolkit and really pull out uh, all the stops, if you will. The, uh, the building is uh, 250,000 square foot with 1,200 seats. It's a developer build to suit, and Humana is the only tenant in the building. We consolidated three different business units. Um, the majority of those seats, about 900, are for the service center uh, calls environment. And then the second function was the Ohio market office is located in the building. 
And then we had some uh, mixture of other corporate groups that were about 200 seats. And uh, we hired an architectural firm um, that had helped us on some other projects out of Cincinnati uh, called BHDP Architects. And um, they helped um, deliver this project. This is a, uh, a site plan that shows the, it's a virtual rendering, but uh, it actually looks like this today. But this is the, uh, called the Grand Baldwin Building. If you're familiar with Cincinnati, north of downtown on I-71, this is a building that we were in for uh, many years and created this new uh, building right across the street from it. And subsequently, they've added a new hotel here. So that's the relationship of where we, where we were to um, where we are. But uh, we looked at it as a new way of delivering a project. And we, th we wanted to think uh, with BHDP's help differently and began to design a project around more of a cultural transformation and, and through an, more of a, a better understanding of culture and the human dynamics of how work is produced, we felt we could uncover the complex relationships between associates in producing their work. And, um, you know, they and we believe that we could come up with a more complete design by looking at it that way. So, you know, we looked at um, all the things you look at, culture and generations and uh, as I said earlier we thought seriously about sustainability again and wellness in the workplace uh, needing a lot of mobility and the fact that we're now a global company um, with uh, branded technology so we factored all those in at Humana we place a very high emphasis on the uh, the agility and the wellness as I mentioned but um, Historically, we, uh, it's kind of a busy slide here, but the point is, is that we spent a lot of, a lot of time in this uh, conventional realm of architectural services here, tactically delivering projects, but this gave us the opportunity to really start thinking about some different uh, toolkit uh, items to use on the front end in the explore and discover area, in data gathering, scenario planning, and measuring. And um, we did. Um, and we'll focus on uh, cultural assessments and visioning and um, some of these things uh, here on post-occupancy, change communications, and surveying after move-in. And it was really the first time that we had done all of that on a single project. Um, the cultural assessment tool that we used, we'd uh, actually first seen uh, this from Steelcase, who'd helped us do a couple of projects, and we used it again. But, uh, of course, culture is about unwritten rules, about why things are the way they are, and about how things get done. A cultural assessment helps us understand the organization's essence, which can then integrate into the design. Architecture alone can't change a company's culture, but with a strategically planned design, an environment that's tuned to the attributes identified as a preferred culture can change patterns of people at work. New patterns can have an impact on individual and team behaviors and behaviors, in turn, can influence new values, which in turn can have a positive impact on evolving organizational culture. So we used the, uh, the Cameron and Quinn uh, methodology there to look at, um, based on surveying and interviews, the state of existing culture in the minds of the associates in the leadership and where they wanted the culture to go through, to go to, to evolve to, and uh, how can we design a space um, to become uh, a foundation and a platform for that. Um, we also did a lot of visioning sessions 
<clears throat> again, nothing revolutionary here, but to the degree that we did that um, was new for us. Uh, we did uh, many of them with different groups, uh, leadership groups, associate groups, uh, combination groups, uh, to capture that collective vision. And uh, they provided us the opportunity to share a lot of different perspectives. And um, out of that, you know, came the idea of the walking track. And then change readiness um, was something that we didn't do a lot of, um, but began um, uh, with the Cincinnati project. And, and now it's become uh, something that we do each and every time. But um, we had, um, as a result of visioning sessions, we had a number of early adopters were identified who understood the initial intent of the project goals and uh, came out equipped with an understanding of the purpose for creating what the workplace of the future looked like. And this became a key cornerstone for the change management portion of the project. So uh, the next thing is Dave's going to talk you through how we each uh, used, utilized, excuse me, utilized each of these tools in a little more detail. Thanks, Greg. Okay, Dave. Oh, thanks. All right, can you guys uh, hear me okay? Great. Um, uh, the Cincinnati project uh, that Greg referenced, uh, I had a, a great opportunity to, to be there from uh, inception to completion. Uh, I was in Cincinnati at the time, and uh, my primary uh, focus was change management on that particular project. So that was a very, very uh, eye-opening experience for me and, and just a, a really a, a great project. Um, now, we're, we're going to walk you through the process that we use and, and go into some detail uh, uh, in some of our outcomes. Uh, it was not perfect, but we, we really feel that we came with a, uh, with a pretty good approach and a repeatable model that we could use in uh, projects going forward. Uh, as, as we uh, go into the project scorecard, uh, we did something a little bit unique on this. We, we identified the project scorecard very, very early in the process before we had engaged a developer. Uh, we, we, we did some focus groups. We met with some leaders in Cincinnati. And we came up with what we call the three E's, experience, efficiency, and effectiveness. Um, I, I think the unique part of this is, um, uh, like I said, we, we, we use the same model to the developers. And you know, just by the reactions from them, we knew that was somewhat new to them. So we wanted to know uh, right up front, uh, you know, we wanted clear guidelines. Uh, we wanted them to know what we were really trying to accomplish with the whole project. So even though that developer may have not been with us all the way through the project, we wanted them to, to know right away what we were trying to accomplish. And we just felt that that would uh, uh, come a long way. And uh, the developers really, really uh, came on board and got excited about that when they, uh, you know, sent their bids in. It, you know, the, the, the scorecard was referenced. So that was uh, somewhat unique. We haven't done it since, but we'll probably do that again in the future. Uh, on large projects. Now, um, let's see here. The uh, process diagram that uh, Greg talked about, you know, the, the data gathering stage, uh, we, we did visioning sessions, we did cultural assessments, we, uh, we did furniture mock-ups. Uh, I think I, uh, Kevin and I probably led 50 plus construction uh, site tours with associates. So we did a whole lot of um, you know, data gathering and, and exploration up front. And that was, uh, uh, I think, very well received with the associates. Um, you know, we tried to respect their time and, and so on and so forth, but we really left it open-ended for them. And uh, we, we got a lot of great information out of that phase. Um, 
The, the cultural assessment that uh, Greg referenced before, uh, the Cameron and Quinn model, uh, you can see here we had 616 responses out of uh, eight or 900 associates at the time. So we got a really good response. And you can see that we had uh, the blue line is a shift um, pro from what we you know, perceived as the market or the uh, hierarchy uh, to more of a community. And so we wanted to reflect that in the de design and show our associates that we really listened. So we had a really great opportunity to, uh, to, to like I said, insert this into the design. Um, we were told uh, that a 6% uh, decrease in market and then therefore, therefore a 6% uh, increase with such a large uh, population is a significant shift and, and that we needed to really pay attention to that. 6% in that large of a, of a group is significant. Um, some of the ideas, I'm, I'm not going to read this slide, but the associate visioning, some of the ideas that you have here, I mean, you can see that people, uh, it was very, very open-ended, you know, coffee shop atmosphere. We wanted, uh, you know, a place, uh, you know, very friendly place where they could have continuous, continuous learning, fun, professionalism. We just took all these ideas, put them on a board, wanted to make sure that we uh, were looking through this filter when we designed the space and had the opportunity. Um, this is a very early rendering of our Cincinnati project. Um, and it's actually very close to what the actual final design looked like. But we really wanted to focus on when people came into the building that they could understand right away what Humana, what was important to Humana. You know, health and well-being. You know, we have a fitness center on the first floor. When you come into the elevator bay, you, you know, the fitness center's right there. We had a, a, a nice cafe, you know, with healthy choices, and it was well-branded that, hey, we're a company that cares about our associates. We're a company that cares about health and well-being. You know, that's, that's a big part of our, uh, uh, of our uh, you know, focus. We also had a big learning center. You know, all this was on the first floor. So as customers come in, you know, we care about continuous learning. We care about perfect service with our members, so on and so forth. We wanted to make that very, very apparent. So um, that was kind of our focus. Um, now, up on the floors, we, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but we had a lot of challenges. I, I think all of you uh, in your company have uh, certain uh, teams or customers that are very, very, uh, I, won't, I won't say difficult, but they're challenging. And our, our, our uh, sales group was, was one of those groups. They ended up being our, our best friends at the end of this. But uh, you know, they, they were in very traditional space, like Greg outlined before. Um, we knew that going in that they, that you know they were they were gonna uh, advocate for their offices so to speak and uh, and we knew that we had to shift them a little bit so anyway um, it was very very interesting in the focus groups with this particular team they, they knew what we were doing so they would say we need to be more open we need to be more collaborative we need to you know you know have these learning spaces but I need my office, I need my privacy. You know, that was always kind of on, on the back end of every conversation. So as, as, we, as we went through this process, we decided that, that we couldn't shift them all the way, that that would be too, too much of a change to a completely open. So we created you know, some, some heads down you know, uh, eye space and, and you know, we had some offices and so on and so forth. We, you know, we had some open collaboration space in between, but it, but it was gonna be kind of a transition. Uh, we just didn't feel like culture culturally we could shift them that, that quickly. However, once we did the uh, cultural assessment, this particular group, we had a very, very dramatic shift um, that was close to, uh, I believe it was 13% from kind of the market and hierarchy to more of the community. 
And you know, that was such a significant shift. We said, wait a minute, guys, we, we can't just you know, have a stepping stone space here. We need to go all the way. They're ready. They're, they're looking for it. So what actually came out of that is we, we have a lot more collaboration space in between their pods. Uh, they have a lot of team space. They have these open, uh, open conference rooms on the end. And uh, <clears throat> so this, this sales environment is completely different than what they were going for. And we were able to show them the data and tell them, hey, guys, this is why we're doing what we're doing. It's your information that we're using and infusing into the design. And that went a long way into getting their buy-in and, and their understanding. And uh, now I think they're some of our uh, biggest proponents. Um, whenever I'm going to different cities and we're working with the sales group, a lot of times I'll say, hey, guys, I know you're you know, uh, a little you know, concerned about where we're trying to take you. Why don't you call this leader in Cincinnati? He went through this. He can walk you through and see what it did for his team. That's been a really great tool for us. Um, in several cases, the, the sales leaders I've been dealing with have said, oh, I've already called him. He had nothing but nice things to say, so appreciate it. So it's, it's really been a good tool for Greg and I. Um, another big group in the Cincinnati, much different than sales, is the service center. So um, we, we got a similar response here. Um, you know, we had 460 of our associates in the service center, and they shifted, but not quite as significantly as our, as our sales team. But it, but it was a shift along those same lines. So um, in our conceptual design, Greg referenced the walking track. That, came, that idea came directly from the associates. Um, we have a lot of community space, um, a lot of areas to, you know, for them to connect. I mean, these guys are on the phone, you know, seven and a half hours a day dealing with members and, you know, and our, our members in their, some of their most difficult times. So we, we definitely knew that we needed to, to make a space where they could get away, have some social time, some community time with their groups, and kind of uh, really just download and get some downtime. So. Uh, this walking track, you'll see people, especially in the winter in Cincinnati, uh, associates kind of walking around there just to get some exercise, just to get away from the phone for a little bit. Here's some renderings of that space, just to give you kind of a, a feel for uh, some of the open spaces that I referenced before. Um, these open conference rooms are, are very interesting. Uh, we've found that people use them for food days. You know, if you've ever managed a service center or been in a service center, they do a lot of team atmospheres. Sometimes they're a war room for a week. They have a new change coming up and they need to mobilize. So those, it's very, very flexible and it's very, very interesting to see how our teams use the spaces we uh, created. Um, we also, in, some, in the top right area there with the uh, little lounge seating, uh, we found that we weren't seeing a lot of activity there. So we, need, we knew that we needed to to let people know that it was okay to use those spaces. You know, you know, I think you know, some of our associates, some of the feedback we received was, is my boss gonna think I'm slacking you know, by sitting there and using that? So we really needed to uh, let them know that that needed to be led from above. So our leadership um, uses that space just to show that it's okay and that you know, it's okay to take a break. Um, now, out of this project on, on the back end, uh, what we thought was very interesting was the uh, measurement stage. Uh, like I said, we hadn't really done that pre and post, and it, it, with as much data as we did this time, we had a big group, about eight, 900 associates. So I'm going to turn this back over to Greg, and he's going to uh, talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the results that we uh, gathered and, and some of the change management and, and what that really netted us uh, with Humana. We think that's uh, very, very valuable 
because you know we've, we've talked about this before but we never really had anything to back it up and you know and people would always ask us well do you have any results or you know sounds great but was it great and uh, so I'll turn this over to Greg and he can walk you through some of the results and uh, some of the uh, the opportunities. Now while I'm doing that, I'm just going to show a couple of uh, the change management uh, newsletters that we put together. Uh, the only reason we're showing this is I really want to stress that we didn't, we didn't focus on their workstation, we didn't focus on the building. We wanted to be very aspirational in our thinking and as, as our company transforms from uh, you know, just a health insurance, health benefits company to a, a company of health and well-being that we, you know, we wanted to very much portray that in our newsletters and that we're more than just an insurance company and you know, come along for the ride. So um, you can see we have some construction pictures and we gave them what we want, you know, they wanted to see where they were sitting as well, but we also focused uh, very much on the alignment of the company. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Mm -hmm. Um, so we are on track, so I can relax now a little bit more and um, make sure that we get everybody out of here and still have time for questions and answers. And um, we had a lot of information to cover, but we got through it pretty quickly. So the last part of this is really about the measurement piece, and we wanted to, to go further than we had in the past to begin to understand how much of an impact that uh, we could have on the associate experience with a strategically designed workplace. And um, aligning the design of the space with strategic research was dependent on these three factors, integrated design, customer engagement, and change management, as Dave talked about. So uh, now we're over here into the, uh, you know, into the end uh, piece of the full spectrum of services. And I'd like to say now we're going to do this on each and every project every time, but um, even now that our huge growth spurt's over and we're more of into a maintaining what we own mode, we're still extremely busy and uh, going to have a hard time to deploy all of these tools each and every time. And it's just not realistic to, you know, to do that on every project. But um, on the big ones, you know, we're believers in this. And on the small ones, to the degree that we can, I think we, we need to do these um, techniques moving forward. But again, these, these questions were built around this 3E scorecard. Uh, that Dave showed you, and um, the uh, demographics. We asked uh, five different questions about uh, where they were and who they were, uh, generations, and uh, what level they were from and the work groups that they were in. And uh, we had three sections that had six questions each, and we'll look at some examples of those questions in a minute. And then there was an open um, uh, actually, we had uh, built-in barometer categories, questions around culture, work process, environment, technology, and branding. And then there was an open comments box in each section. <clears throat> um, this is just a matrix that uh, shows the 3E scorecard um, with the five barometer category questions laid over the top of it. And our summary here, the uh, Response rate, as Dave said, we had very uh, good levels of response. The pre-occupancy was 62% uh, and the post-occupancy was 67%. So on the cultural surveys, we had high return. We had high return here as well. Uh, 
But we asked them uh, which facility they worked in. We had uh, the Baldwin building that I showed you across the street. Uh, many of them came from northern Kentucky. Um, as Dave said, they were scattered across the service center, the market office, and some other corporate groups. Um, the different levels, associate, supervisor, manager, director, tenure, less than five years, five to ten, et cetera, and then the generation, and uh, which work description fits you best, whether you're in the office daily, uh, three days or less, uh, teleworker. So um, those were uh, the different uh, statistics and the summary. And um, this slide is really about what's most important. And it looks at the value of the organization, um, the value that the associates have toward their leaders and their manager, towards the workplace, and towards the peers and their teams. And uh, we've done this several different times on different projects. And um, it hasn't been the same each time, um, interestingly. But in this case, the highest value uh, per the associates surveyed was towards their leaders and managers, um, followed by the workplace. And then uh, after that came their team and their teammates. So for us, designing space, that was huge to see that the workplace, uh, in the minds of the associates and the leadership, was more important than their team and their teammates. Um, this is just a setup slide that kind of shows how the thing is organized. And uh, basically, it's a relative scale. The, uh, the red is the pre-occupancy, um, and the green is the post-occupancy result, directional arrow. Are we doing, going in the wrong direction, or are we going in the right direction there on this 10-point um, scale? And down here are the number of responses um, that we got. So the first big question was, did the value of the workplace change overall? And this was, as these surveys go, a resounding 12% increase of the value of the workplace. So uh, if you think about it in terms of um, you know, an A is good and an E is bad, um, we just went from a high C to an A minus with a 12% increase. And we felt that was a significant move of the barometer. And then we asked them, um, what did they value uh, in their workplace uh, around experience, efficiency, and effectiveness? And we were able to go up uh, in each of those categories. Again, experience being the physical qualities, efficiency being the associate productivity without waste, and effectiveness being associate results, output, and achieving goals. So um, our arrows are not always going up, but in this case, they were, uh, they were all going up. And then we looked a little closer at the barometer uh, categories. Again, those being culture, work process, environment, technology, and brand. And uh, it was really interesting to see that some of the largest gains here were in the category of brand uh, and work environment. And uh, we were very happy about that. Um, how did they, based on the location that they worked in, uh, how did they perceive the change? And this was interesting uh, to me that I thought the folks in northern Kentucky, they had the nicest workspace. It was only a few years old um, versus the Baldwin building across the street that was classic 1985 um, that Dave showed you the floor plan of. And um, this was not what I expected. And the story there was they felt disconnected being across the river in Kentucky pretty far from the, facility, the main anchor facility. And so for them to be all together in one place was huge to them. So 
contrary to what I thought, the biggest leap here came from the Northern Kentucky facility. Um, then as far as the work group that they were in, the service center, uh, the majority of people uh, had a big uh, gain there in the value of the workplace and uh, followed by other corporate and then the market office. Like Dave said, the salespeople, eh, they're out of the office a little bit more, sometimes a little bit uh, more, uh, a little bit tougher to satisfy sometimes and we saw the survey uh, reinforce that. Um, this one is about uh, just looking at the role of associate supervisor, manager, or director. And uh, this, as far as these uh, ratings go, with the director having that kind of a leap and a manager having that kind of a leap, um, we looked at this and we thought, well, you know, what can you gain from, from that? And I guess if you wanted someone to make a big jump forward, it would probably be at the leadership level because they have the most influence over the rest of the associates. And um, they felt that the value of the workplace had increased the most, the leadership, as opposed to um, the associates. Then we looked at the, uh, these different uh, barometer categories again, a little closer, uh, managers and directors, um, and just to see um, you know, how they felt about it. And again, in the category of brand, uh, it was huge. And uh, environment, very substantial. So. Um, as I said, we don't always get jumps quite like this uh, now that we've done this on several different projects. So um, this is not as analytical uh, as it could be, but for us it was a step forward to begin to uh, do surveys and to look at what people are thinking, the perceived value of the workplace, and uh, I think moving forward uh, we hope to get even more sophisticated with it. This was looking at tenure. Um, you know, less than five, five to ten. Um, and not sure what conclusions you draw from that, but um, some, some of them are just um, interesting information to have. Generations, the uh, less than 26 years old, 27 to 42. Um, so the biggest gain there uh, came from the 27 to 42 years old and the traditionalist over 63 years old. So when we looked at all of that um, and then evaluated the, uh, the written comments, the, uh, the blue here is indicating positive and the red is negative. So you see there's a decided uh, flip in these results from pre-occupancy where a lot of people had negative comments uh, about their culture and their work process and environment, really bad. Technology, and technology we tend to, at Humana, we lag a little bit behind with none of our IT friends in the room from Humana, I'll say this, but um, they, uh, and I think this is pretty prevalent out there, but we're, it's a struggle for us to get wireless in a lot of our projects. We're making slow, steady progress there, but but the technology um, tends to usually, um, and I think in, in today's you know, world, that's, people have expectations that technology is going to be fantastic in the workplace, just like it is in your personal life with iPads and everything else that we now have. And um, you know, I, I feel like IT hasn't uh, quite caught up with us yet. 
but anyway, looking at the post-occupancy, um, where we got 359 comments, um, culture, work process, environment, uh, everything went up, uh, except for technology was still hugely negative. And uh, brand, negative, positive was about a 50-50 split on that. So again, um, that was kind of a, a survey based on a question. And then we took it and looked at it across all the different groups and made some conclusions. And um, for us to do that before and after a project uh, was a good learning experience for us. So we've left a little bit of time here at the end for questions and answers. And I really hope that um, you guys, being the astute designers, architects, real estate professionals from Chicago that you are, that uh, there was some value that you found in our presentation today. Paul Giannopoulos with uh, Cresta Partners. Um, what other business constituents or partners did you have with this process? And if you didn't have any or, or if you needed more, who were you missing in the process to make it even more successful? Well, we certainly, um, I mentioned the, the architectural firm that we had selected out of Cincinnati. and. Um, George or Dave might want to talk to you know how we went about on the front end on the the actual site selection process. Internal like IT, HR. Oh. Any other business partners that you had with your group? Why don't you go ahead and sure. talk uh, about that? Yeah, and, and all through the the process, we were we were out um, about two and a half years before out in front of this project. So our IT was very very involved at the at the earliest levels. Um, uh, like I said, two and a half years b before we had even selected a site, and uh, we're very, very involved. We're actually a part of our HR department, our workplace solutions group, so we're very, very integrated there. So um, there was a whole, there was a lot of uh, internal uh, uh, collaboration going on well before this started, and they were part all the way through the process. So anytime we were meeting with associates, um, uh, they, they were at the table and, and, and part of it. And corporate comm was a big part Yeah, corporate big communications, our HR communications. Uh, very integrated with the business leaders. Um, and we, we, we don't always do this. We, we, we don't always have that opportunity. We, we, we could get better. This particular project, we knew that we were going to make this kind of a case study and like that repeatable, repeatable model. So we put a lot of resources on this project that we don't normally. And I think that's why we got the great outcomes. But that just confirmed to us that we need to be better at that going forward, forward. We need IT, HR, all the other HR groups, our business groups at the table very early on. So I think that was one of our big learnings. We, we recently just uh, received a survey that was not quite as positive, and there were some misses. And there was other factors involved, but we didn't do all that we did on this project. So we've kind of got that real positive outcome, then one that was a little less than positive. And it's, it's just been a great learning to have them side by side. I'm uh, Corey Kamholtz with Halliburton Root. Uh, my question is, did you end up spending more money in construction dollars on these kind of build-outs than you had in the past? And if so, were you able to um, recoup some of that expense by devoting less square footage per person? Or it, it, was it kind of a wash, or did it end up being more expensive, cheaper? I'll, I'll answer that in a general way. And then if we want to get more specific, I work on you know projects all over the United States, and typically, 
um, the, the goal would be to en enhance the associate experience and then drive some cost out. And a lot of times uh, it's, and this is a great example <clears throat> because we came out of uh, multiple different facilities into one facility and um, there was a cost avoidance um, by doing that out of coming out of three different leases in, or two different leases, was it two or three? Um, two into one into a new property. And so um, I'm not sure the exact impact it had on the overall run rate, but. Well, it, it significantly decreased it. And where we really gained a lot of efficiency was um, before our, our department was even established, the business leaders had signed a uh, really poor lease, 10 year lease before that. So uh, we were able to show that, you know, we a much more competitive rate. We were able to bring the rate significantly down. As far as construction, uh, it, was, it was pretty much on par with what we kind of typically do. But all in all, we were able to show our leaders and associates that we're going into this really nice space with a fitness center with, with food, yet we're spending less money than we would have to have renewed at that building and like Greg said, in the 1985 you know, space. So we're actually saving money to do that. That's how we approached it from a messaging standpoint. But as far as the build-out costs, they were very uh, typical with what we do on other projects. Yeah. One other interesting point, and we can use Chicago as an example. Uh, you talked about space per person. For instance, in our Chicago and our Adam Street location, we have two large offices on the end, but every other office is exactly the same size, dimension, shape, so that uh, even though the typical or traditional is big office and then the senior VP and then the VP and then the director, and, and uh, that has really enabled us to move people around as the business has changed. And this building also has used the, uh, passed the test of time. Even though this was done a few years ago, healthcare reform has really changed our business the building is still very functional, very productive, and very appropriate for today's environment, and we hope for tomorrow's environment and next year and beyond. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hi, Inez from Faithful and Gould. Did you guys handle all of the surveying and analytics in-house, or did you use a consultancy? And then what, what would you tell your peers about whether or not or how useful it was is obviously useful, but like the work that it takes to do all that. Well, we, uh, we did hire the architect, actually had that capability in-house. They helped us with a lot of our change management, and um, we had used them for, for several years um, and uh, liked the menu of services that they offered, and um, they were able to also do um, the culture in Quinn cultural surveys, they were able to uh, do a lot of the change management communications, working with our corporate communications people, and they also administered all of those surveys, so it, may, it was very easy for us um, that they handled that for us. Yeah, and I'll address the, um, how valuable it was. I'll tell you, that became very, very valuable information when I had leaders come to me, or vice presidents or directors, and say, you know what, I'd really like you to do this, and then I could pull that data out and say, you know, that's great, and that's, I appreciate that, but look what we have here. And it was really hard for them to argue that with me um, when, when I had that data. And that, that, that came up two or three times where, you know, this is great, you have all this collaboration space, but I want to put file cabinets here. Can we move those tables? Can we do this? Can we do that? And then, I, you know, and I was able to use that data. So that's where I found it the most valuable. But I think as we move forward on projects, we'll also find it very valuable to compare, you know, hey, what did we do on this one? Why did this one succeed? Why did we get, you know... Uh, you know, 
lukewarm reception on this one. So I think we're still figuring that one out as well. Well, we did have a last slide here that I forgot to mention earlier. But as far as just some learnings, and I'll spend less than a minute on this, but that strategic toolkit to, to utilize all of those services on a project, as I mentioned earlier, that, that was a big learning for us to the degree that we can. Let's deploy that every time. Uh, the end-to-end -end change management. Change management you know, really begins in the very beginning. It's not something that you add on at the end. It has to be going on throughout the process. When um, we've learned on some other mega build-outs here lately, um, meaning you know, over 500 seats, it's very important to have a workplace solutions person on site um, doing all the work that these guys did with 50 mock-up tours and all those kinds of things. Um, that is very helpful to have that level of service on site. And then take the time to do the measurements at the end. Um, not only you know, the measurements on the culture, but the pre and post surveys as well. So those were some of our lessons that we learned on the project. It's like they want you to talk. Dan. I just didn't know if there's any other questions out there. <laughs> These guys came all the way in town. <laughs> uh, this information was very insightful. I uh, appreciate you guys sharing your story, coming across uh, the country to share the insight. Uh, very interesting perspective. We appreciate your time. Um, we also have these surveys here. Please uh, fill them out. We appreciate your feedback. And also remember the school supply drive. Make your donations in the back. And we appreciate your guys' time. Thank you very much for uh, coming out today. Much.